The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue looking at Job's answer to Zophar, we come to the 13th chapter where Job begins to defend himself personally. Here we begin to see some of Job's pride creeping in, but even now, Job is generally more right than the rest of the speakers in this book. Join us today as we continue looking at this portion of the book of Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Long ere the sun began his days, Spirit 
Tonight, we want to go back to the book of Job. Uh, this has been a rich study for me personally in the book of Job. The book of Job, if you're not careful, can lead you astray, can confuse you, can make us wonder about what's going on. But if we can see it in its simplicity and in its accurate interpretation, what we find in the book of Job is that is that Job was experiencing the same kinds of things that we experience, just a whole lot more of them. What Job is dealing with is suffering, the suffering of this life, the suffering that comes upon us because we live in a sin-cursed world. And you know, sometimes we blame the devil for all of our troubles, but it's not always the devil that's behind them. Sometimes it's just the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world and it's just a fallen creation. It's just a a time, you know, every tornado is not stirred up by Satan. Uh, sometimes it's the atmospheric conditions that are out there that are now fallen. There wouldn't have been any tornadoes in the Garden of Eden. But because of what Adam did, now there's all kinds of things like that, earthquakes and those kinds of things. But then sometimes the devil really does stir those things up. And sometimes he really is after you. I'm, I'm thankful that the devil, the devil's, we sometimes get to thinking he's like God. God is everywhere present and nowhere absent. He is omniscient and omnipotent. The devil is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere present and, and, and nowhere absent. He, he has a lot of minions, a lot of followers, a lot of demons and fallen angels that he can send our way. So sometimes it's those minions of Satan that are troubling us. Sometimes, as I said, it's just it's just the things that are in this sin-cursed world. Sometimes it's the result of some bad decisions we made. You know, sometimes it's the chastening of God. There's all kinds of reasons for suffering. But I believe the worst kind of suffering that there is is the kind that Satan stirs up. Because he has a way of creating the recipe for our trouble unlike anybody else can do. As bad as we can mess it up and cause ourselves troubles, nobody can cause troubles for us like the devil can. He's like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he, whom he may devour. And what, what's, what's awesome about Job is that it gives us a little insight into the worst that the devil can do in this life. I, I don't know about you. I know a lot of sad situations, even among our congregation. Doesn't seem to me like anybody suffered like Job. Nobody suffered like he has. We've suffered in a lot of ways, but not to the extent losing his entire family, losing everything that he'd built all of his life, he'd worked for all of his life and built up, and then losing his health on top of that. And, and you know, it was kind of a situation where, um, and, and interestingly, by the decree of God, he couldn't die. <laughs> God told the devil, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. Poor Job had gotten to the point probably where he would like to have just died. In fact, we, at one point he says, I wish I'd never been born. And so, but because of Job, we have some insight into what's going on both in heaven and on earth and from the devil and what we can rely on. And that's what I hope we end up getting out of this whole book of Job. Remember as well, as we go back to it, we always have to filter what's being said through the speaker that's speaking it. You know, the only, the only speaker in this whole book, in this whole book of Job, that we can completely trust that he not only said the right things, 
but he got them in the right context as God when we go over to the 38th chapter. But in the meantime, we have to sort through this and we have to sift it through the understanding that these are fallen men. Again, I want to make it clear. Uh, sometimes we, we, I don't want to be misunderstood about that. I'm not saying there's anything that's wrong in the, in the scripture that shouldn't be there. I'm just saying that you know everything in the scripture is inspired and it's written for our benefit, but not everything in the scriptures is a true statement about what's going on. There are liars in the scripture. The scripture doesn't lie, but there are liars in the scripture we read about, you know, and there are things that we have to remember always to take in context. You know, I heard it said one time, and I know I've told you this, that everything in the scripture is written for us, but not necessarily everything is written to us. You know, I hope over in John the eighth chapter where he says, ye are of your father, the devil, that that's not written to us. <laughs> I know it's written for us, but it's not written to us, you see, so... So going back to the book of Job here, we have dealt with the last of the three friends, uh, a man named Zophar, who was the harshest of the three friends. And he made some serious accusations that I won't go back over tonight. You can go back and listen to the message, that, that, that one of the messages we preached recently about Zophar and what he said and, and, and began to see what Job's response was. Tonight, we're in the middle of Job's response to Zophar. And if you recall, it's, this is the 12th and 13th and 14th chapters. It's the longest response so far that Job has given. And if you remember, in the first couple of messages, we saw Job's answer beginning there in the 12th chapter. And what he first says in the 12th, and the 12th chapter is, look, God is so great. You think you know. Zophar was telling him, I know about God. Job says, so do I. So do I. And, and as much as you think you've got God pegged and you've got him in your box, you don't know anything about God. You don't know. God is so great that he's greater than these things you're telling me. And he, and he just goes through this, this awful, this is so terrible what they're doing to Job. They're, instead of comforting him, they're mocking him. Instead of helping him, they're, they're tearing him down and, and falsely accusing him. Job had problems. Job had pride. We're going to see it coming out tonight. And if we get to that point, but Job had not done anything that prompted this to happen. See, that's the difference. We all deserve no better than what Job got. But sometimes the things that happen to us may happen because we've done so. You know, if I if I went out and started, uh, you know, living an immoral life and that sort of thing, you can expect consequences when you do that. Okay, but but sometimes. The things that happen to us happen to us irregardless of our lifestyle. And that's what he's saying here. Job really hadn't done anything particular to bring this upon him. So we had talked about the fact in chapter 12, he said he started talking about how great God is. And then we, we came to chapter 13 where he's beginning to defend himself. Last time we got down through verse 11 and saw that essentially he's saying, look, I'm still righteous. You're accusing me of being unrighteous, but I'm I am righteous, and, and I don't think Job initially is talking about that in a way that's, that, that's prideful. He's not saying, oh, I'm this perfect person. He's just saying, you're accusing me of doing all this horrible stuff, this secret sins, but I'm really, I hadn't done it. I hadn't done that. I'm trying to do right. We saw last time how he, he, he sort of brought it to him. He said, uh, in verse 11 particularly, uh, shall not his excellency make you afraid? You see, Zophar was saying, I wish God would come down here and talk to you. And, and he, he says, you better be careful what you ask for. We talked a little bit about that last time. 
When he comes on the scene, what are you going to do so far? When he starts turning his probing eye on you, we talked about that just a little bit, the fact that God does ultimately come on the scene. So we ended there last time, and I want to pick up in verse 12, and I want us to look at, begin to look at the rest of his response here. Notice in verse 12, he says, this is Job talking, Your remembrances are like unto ashes, your bodies to bodies of clay. Hold your peace. Let me alone that I may speak, and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Now, now what he's saying here is basically all this stuff that you're reminding me of, they're proverbs of ashes. They're just like ashes. They're valueless. They're trite sayings. And that's kind of something we have to be careful about today. I don't want to get too far off into this, but I know that there have been times when someone, you know, has come to me in the midst of suffering and said, Hey, just hang in there. It'll get better <laughs> with time. It'll get better with time. Or, hey, it could be worse, you know. And now, now I, I know I'm not going to be mad at you if you say that to me. I promise I'm not. I know you're trying to comfort the best you can. But these little trite sayings don't help us. Because, look, time, yes, time changes things. But, but I don't know anybody who's lost a loved one that says, oh, well, I'm fine today. I've had a year or two pass. <laughs> That's not what happens sometimes. It gets even deeper the, the longer you're missing that loved one. You know, in that part, I love that part, that saying, you know, there's somebody out there that's got it worse than you. You know, that, that works, but it's kind of like a pyramid scheme. It only works until you are that last person that has it worse than everybody else. You think about that. Somebody does have it worse. Oh, if somebody has it worse than you and somebody worse than them, one of these days you get to the end and nobody's any worse than that guy. <laughs> So my point is that doesn't really help. And that's what he's saying. You're telling me stuff that doesn't help. You're getting on to me. You're jumping on me. He says, be silent and let me speak. And whatever happens, happens. He said, hold your peace and, and let come upon me what will. Let me say some things here and just let the chips fall where they may. And I like that part there. He says, wherefore do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hand? In other words, he's saying, I'm biting my tongue. I'm, I'm holding on here. I've got some things to say, but I've tried to be silent, but it's killing me. It's tearing me up because of all the things you're saying that I know are not true. Some of the things you're saying about God are not true. And then he comes down to verse 15. And I want to, I want to stop there just for a minute and spend just a few minutes on this. Notice verse 15, what he says, though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him. Now that is a great statement of faith right there. It's a little bit sometimes misunderstood what he's saying here. Sometimes it's used by the absoluter to say, well, see, God's doing everything. He's the one that's slaying me. He's the one that's causing me these problems. And I just got to stoically endure it. You know, that's what the Stoics believed in the time of Christ. The Greek um, Stoic philosophy believed you just got to suck it up and bear it. You know, things are going to happen and they're just going to happen the way they are. What is to be will be and it doesn't matter. You're just going to have to deal with it. That's very much a fatalistic, uh, absolutist ap approach. I, I don't believe that's what, what Job means right here. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. First of all, I do believe it's a great statement of his faith. I do think that is a faith-filled statement. He's essentially saying here, God, I know that you're good and I trust you 
and no matter what happens, I'm going to continue trusting you. You always have to th take things into context, though. So let's, let's not stop reading right there. Let's read the next couple of verses as well. Verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. For an hypocrite shall not come before him. Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. What he's, what he's not doing here is just stoically saying, I've just got to take whatever God throws at me. See, I don't think Job has lost sight of the nature of God. What he's really saying here is, look, my faith is as strong as yours. You're accusing me of not having faith and of not living right and having some secret sin that I haven't confessed. But I'm telling you, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I, I trust God just like you do. And, and you're wrong about why this is happening to me. It's not happening to me because of some secret sin. And he said, I will, I will maintain mine own ways before him. That is, that is courtroom language there. That is, that is language that says that I'm going to prove my case. I'm going to argue my case before him. Maintain literally means there to prove or to argue. And he says, I want to go before God and state my case because you're getting it all wrong. I have not done what you say I've done. And I, wanna, I want you to understand that I've got the same kind of faith you do. Hey, if he slays me, I'll trust him. But I want to argue my case before God, not you. Okay? Now, here's where just a little bit of that pride is coming in. No, you're going to see it comes out more and more as we go through this chapter. Job continues to say, hey, I've got a case. I, got a case. I wish God was here. I wish I could argue it to him. Man, if he was here, I'd really talk to him about what's going on in my life. And we know that when God did show up on the scene, he realized, you know, I was wrong about some things. I was too prideful about in some areas. And I'm just going to lay my hand on my mouth and not speak. I don't think we're ever going to have that opportunity to argue our case before the Lord. <laughs> you know, Job had a case to argue. There's a famous, there's a famous old sermon by Elder John Henry Thrower, a black preacher from California back in the 70s, preached a sermon on Job had a case. I've got a copy of it, and it's a great sermon. But the bottom line is, is that the case that, that had to be argued before the Lord was not on, not, it was on our behalf, but it wasn't by us. It was on our behalf by Christ. <laughs> but you see, he's saying, I just want a chance to get in front of God. He's not being stoically... Uh, absoluter and fatalistic here. He declares clearly that his hope is in God. I trust him still. And whether he knows it or not, he's making the case here for the nature of God, that God is not doing all this to me, that God is not the afflictor of the brethren. He says, he shall be my salvation. That's how we always ought to view God. It's easy sometimes to start questioning God. Why God? Why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? But remember, God is our salvation. He's the one that we should look to in the midst of troubles, even as serious as the troubles that Job is having, because he's not the afflictor of the brethren. He is our Savior. And he's not just, you know, you know what Savior means? Savior means deliverer. He's our deliverer. Over there when it says, 
whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Over in the book of Joel, where that's quoted from, it's translated delivered. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. You know, that's what we need, isn't it? We need deliverance. We need eternal deliverance from the sin that cause, would otherwise cause us to be cast into hell. And we need timely deliverance in everyday situations. I need, I need a deliverance today. I, I, I was struggling with some things today. And you know how the Lord delivered me today? Through my dear wife. <laughs> she encouraged me. She reminded me of some things. You know, sometimes I have to deliver her. I, but, you know, it's the Lord sending those things. You know, uh, I'm thankful my wife is not like Job's wife that said, curse God and die. There's many times she ought to just say that to me. I know she gets that frustrated with me. I'm so down and out, Brother Mackey. I get down and feeling sorry for myself. And woe is me. And, you know, I wouldn't blame her if she said, oh, well, just curse God and die. <laughs> I think I've told you all the story about, I uh, read about Martin Luther. Martin Luther struggled with depression. He would get down. All, he would get so down and out and in the bed for days sometimes, uh, so depressed. And <laughs> one time after he, had, he was going through a, 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 a bout with depression, and uh, he, got up, he got up from the bed that particular day and went downstairs uh, to breakfast, and there was his wife dressed all in black, had the clo morning clothes on, had a veil, had all this morning attire on. He said, well, she, he said, sweetheart, who died? She said, God. He said, God? He said, well, I guess he must have the way you're acting. <laughs> God must be dead. <laughs> Pretty good way to remind him that God ain't dead. <laughs> God is still very much alive and very much our Savior, you see. And that's what we need to remember here. And that's what Job is, he's getting there, okay? He's getting there. Now, beginning in verses 18 down through the end of the chapter, he sets forth the argument that he does have a case before God. And he's very, look at, notice verse 18. Behold, now I have ordered my cause. That's my case. That's a, a cause of action, we would say in court. I know that I shall be justified. Now, I told you earlier, we start to see a little pride coming in with Job. Apparently, it was a widespread problem in that day in, in the religious circles, because that's what his three friends are struggling with, self-righteousness and pride. Well, Job here says, I know I'm going to be justified. I, I don't know if he says this with a, with a childlike faith that there is, because later on in verse 19, chapter 19, we're going to see that Job knows he has to have a Savior. So perhaps I'm wrong, and perhaps this isn't pride. It, perhaps it's him relying on something that he doesn't fully understand yet, that, is going to, that he's going to be justified in some way before God. But it appears to me to be pride, especially continuing to read here. He says, I'm confident in the outcome. I know that I shall be justified. And notice in verse 19, as we continue reading, who is he that will plead for, with me? For now, if I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. And that pleading with me is basically talking about an accuser. He said, Somebody come forward and accuse me if you know something. And if you do come forward with some justifiable accusation, I'll just be silent. In fact, I'll just give up the ghost. I'll go ahead and die. But I haven't done what you think I've done. And beginning in verse 20, and I believe down through the rest of the chapter, he begins to talk directly to God again. Now, let's just read this and see what he says. Only do not, do not two things unto me. 
Then will I not hide myself from thee. Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. Then call thou, and I will answer, or let me speak, and answer thou me. Now notice what he's saying here. He's saying, God, I want you to meet me directly in court so we can talk about my complaints. And in a sense, Job is ready for this to end either way is what he's saying. He's saying, just come down here, Lord, and let me present my case. And it's kind of the Jerry Clower approach. Shoot up in here amongst us. <laughs> One of us has got to have some relief. You see, he's ready for some relief. Lord, and, I, and let, me, let, me, let me stop right here and say this. I have seen people who seem to be at the end of themselves who get to this point in their lives and they begin to say, and, and, and it sounds bra brash and bold for them to say, God, just come down here and let me present my case. God, just talk to me. Let me talk to you. And I need this to end. And I understand that that's the wrong approach to take. That's the wrong attitude to have. Oh, but we're all human, are we not? So let's not be too judgmental when it comes to that situation. I've been at the bedside of loved ones uh, when, when loved ones are saying goodbye to, their, uh, to someone that's in their family that they love so much and they don't, it's a tragic situation they don't understand and they may cry out in that pain in ways they wouldn't otherwise cry out. They wouldn't be so bold if they were at their right way of thinking. I think that's where Job is here. He's got a little pride. We all got a little pride. God, why is this happening to me? Just come down here and talk to me, and let's, let's work this out. Verse 23, how many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. I think Job understands he is a, he is a sinner, but he's, and he's not trying here to say I'm not a sinner at all, but he's, he's trying to figure out why this is happening. Verse 24, wherefore hidest thou thy face, and holdest me for thine enemy? Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro, and wilt thou pursue dry stubble? For the, thou writest bitter things against me, and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. Thou puttest my feet also into the stocks, and lookest narrowly unto all my paths. Thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet, and he is a rotten thing, consumeth as a garment that is moth-eaten. I believe all of this is directed at God. And notice where, what he's doing here, where he's making a mistake. It looks to Job as if God is hiding his face. Look at, go, go back to verse 23 first. He said, how many are mine iniquities and sins? Talking to God, make me to know my transgression and my sin. Have you ever been in the midst of suffering and you cried out, God, what have I done that this is happening to me? I've had people ask me that question. Say, preacher, I don't know what I've done that God is doing this to me. In other words, I believe this must be the chastening of God, but I can't figure out why. I've said this so many times, I know you know what I'm about to say, but God is a better father than I am. I never spank my children without telling them why. They knew why they were getting punished. They knew what the transgression was. And I got it wrong sometimes. God always gets it right. But God is such a better father than me. Child of God, he does not chasten us without letting us know why. If you can't figure out why, if you can't figure it out, then the best conclusion I can tell you, the, the person that's asked me that, preacher, I can't figure out why 
this is happening, what I've done that God is doing this to me, the answer is God's probably not doing it to you. Because I've never been chastened by God, but what I could figure out why I was being chastened by God. I've experienced a lot of suffering in my life and a lot of pain that was not the chastening of God. Sometimes I want to preach again sometime on the on the topic of suffering and where it comes from. But there's all kinds of different places it comes from. Some of it comes from the fact we just live in a sin-cursed world. Sometimes it, it is chastening. Sometimes it's just the consequence of our dumb decisions, you know. I don't feel, I don't believe, as I said Sunday, I don't believe God's chastening us when we go out and uh, decide to uh, take the chance of driving on the left side of the road all the way from here to Tuscaloosa. I don't believe having a wreck and getting hurt is God's chastening. That's just the pure consequence of our stupid decision. But there are things that happen that I've, and I've experienced the chastening of God. And you know what? I've known why every time. Child of God, if you've got any spiritual sense about you and you ask God sincerely, you will know why you're experiencing that chastening. See, Job here is asking the question, make me to know my transgression and my sin. Why is this happening, God? What did I do? And the answer is, Job, you didn't do anything here. Oh, you're a sinner, but you didn't do any sin, particular sin, that's caused this to come upon you. And now look as he continues to look at verse 24 there. He asks, Lord, why are you hiding your face and holding me as if, I, as if you're my enemy? It looks to Job here as if God is hiding his face. And herein lies that mystery of providence that I was talking about earlier. Sometimes God suffers the temptation to come. And he does not immediately deliver us from it. And it may seem as if God is the one doing it to us, but in reality, He is only suffering these things to come upon us. God is not wadding up a big old ball of sin and casting it down in our path. You know, I, many times people think about um, the sicknesses that come upon them. I, I always pick on Ashley, I guess, because it's been my experience. I, can't, I, could, I could preach your experience if I knew it, but I know mine a whole lot better, you see. But one of the questions I would ask when she was five years old and she was diagnosed with diabetes, I would say, Lord, why did you do this? What have I done that has caused this to happen? Or, or why is it, Lord, that you're doing this? And now as I look back upon it, I realize it wasn't God doing that. Yes, he suffered it to come upon, uh, upon her, but he wasn't up there in heaven wadding up a big old ball of type 1 diabetes and saying, here we go, we're fixing to get this started. You know why she experience that because somewhere in the dna that was corrupted by adam she was more susceptible to that and didn't have the the right gene to turn it off now don't misunderstand what i'm saying nothing comes upon us that takes god by surprise and god suffers these things you know that's what i like sometimes we 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 try to figure out the best language to use in describing God's relationship to suffering and sickness and sorrow in this world. And I've always found that using biblical language is the best. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or chapter 10 rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 13, probably to me describes the relationship between God and sin and the consequences of sin in this life better than anywhere else. Notice what he says in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, 
but such as is common to man. Now, let's stop right there. I know how this, I preached on this before. I know how this verse is misquoted. God won't put on you more than you can bear. And I know what people mean. I've even used it that way. I understand what people are saying when they say that. But notice that, first of all, the temptation didn't come from God. The temptation took us. God didn't put it on us. There hath no tempt, and that word temptation can mean temptation in the sense of temptation to sin, but most often it means trial and tribulation, trouble, suffering. So look, there hath no temptation taken you. How does it take you? Well, in many ways, because we live in a sin-cursed world. And, and by the way, I, don't, I really got to be careful because I could end up preaching on this for an hour, but just notice that you're not alone. You're not unique. I, th- I like to think I am. I like to think, oh, nobody knows the trouble. That's my favorite song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, you know, all that. <laughs> but the truth is it's common to man. It's common. To- you know, there's two ways that that can be a problem for you. If you think you're alone in the suffering, you'll get in despair. But if it's the temptation to sin, you know, you could say also, well, hey, nobody else has ever been tempted like me. They'd have given in too. You know, anybody would give in with this kind of temptation. God said, that's no excuse. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So where's God in temptation? He's right here. He's faithful, but God is faithful. And notice what it says here about the temptation. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And by the way, just to let you in on a little secret, that way of escape is turning back to him. That way of escape, if you're on the road, if you're in the pig pen like the prodigal son and you're down there lusting after the husks of this world, the way of escape is to go back to the Father. If you're in the will of God, if you're doing the will of God, if you're out there rowing, toiling and rowing on the sea, the way of escape is to look to Him and to keep your eyes on Him as you walk on the water to Him, you see. It's always turning back to Him. But notice here, the point I wanted to make tonight is that God's relationship with temptation and trials and troubles in this life is that he suffers them now that word i know can mean permit you can translate as permit or allow but i like the way this translation this old good old king james translation puts it he suffers it to happen you know i believe god suffers just a little bit when his children have to go through things like job's going through job didn't understand it It seemed to him as if God was the one that was doing all this, but in reality, he was only suffering those things to occur. And I go back to that hymn we sang at the end of our uh, song service this this evening. God moves in a mysterious way. He says that third or fourth verse there says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. If, we could, if Job could have seen God at the moment of his great trial here, he would know that God was the one who was actually protecting his life. God was the one who set the bounds beyond which Satan could not go. He didn't cause Satan to do anything, but he said, Satan, you can't go any further than this. Satan tried to get him to, to do it. He tried to get him. He said, God, you touch him and things will, he'll, he'll curse you to your face. God being God, who will not do that, who will not suffer the temptation to be greater than, than, than that that we can bear, he, he, he said, he's in your hands, but you, got, you can only go so far. Yeah, I'm so thankful because the devil is so much stronger than me. 
The devil is so much smarter than me. He's so much more capable than me. And, and, and me, myself, I could not defeat the devil. I could not fight him. I could not get one, gain one inch on him. In fact, I would always be losing ground, but for the great love and providence of God setting the boundaries beyond which he cannot go. I'm so thankful for that. Job missed that, though, and sometimes we do. But, you know, I believe that's one reason we have the book of Job. So that in the midst of our trials, in the greatest trial of our lives, we can say, okay, wait a minute. It looks to me like God is doing this. That's what, he, that's what Job's saying. Lord, why? You've hidden your face. Why, why am I your enemy? I've become your enemy and you're, you're causing me to have all these things. And we're going to learn God didn't do it. All this time he was protecting him. He suffered it to come upon him. I believe one of the reasons he suffered it to come upon him is Job did have some pride. It did need to be broken down. But again, the nature of God is such that we cannot blame God for these things, even though we're tempted to do so when we can't see all the things that God is doing. Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks, and lookest narrowly unto all my paths. Thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet, and he is a rotten thing consumeth as a garment that is moth-eaten. And Job goes from this into chapter 14. And we're going to go for about one or two verses here and stop for the night. But I want you to notice where he goes. In chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. See, Job in chapter 14 he begins to transition from this, um, this portion of his speech here where he's blaming God, and he begins to start asking some questions. We're going to see, as we keep reading here, that these, there's three questions that are important. Keep reading here in verse 3. Dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one, and bringest me into judgment with thee? And look at verse 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one. And we're going to stop here tonight. But that's very important. That's a very important theological principle that Job is stating here. Job is about to display to us that he understands some deeper theological truths than his three friends understand. He asked this question, so... You're accusing me of all these things that I've done as if you're high and mighty over here and you're doing just fine because of all your own righteousnesses. But who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? And the answer, he says, is not one. Did you know that the, the most basic understanding of grace has to begin with the understanding of the depravity of man? I was talking to someone not too long ago and asking them how they came to see this, uh, the doctrines of grace, said, well, when you understand total depravity, everything else just kind of falls into place. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly right. So, so here in chapter 14, we begin, we begin reading about Job's, a little bit more about his understanding. He hadn't got it all right, and we're going to come back to it, and we'll see some of the things that he's wrong about. But, but I just want to, Leave it tonight with this. He asked that question, 
And he later on answers it. In chapter 19 in particular, he gives us the, the great statement of his hope. He says, he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that in the latter days he shall stand upon this earth, and yea, though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. All throughout the statements that Job makes, we keep reading that his ultimate hope is not in himself. He gets some things wrong. He's got some pride that needs to be dealt with. But Job ultimately looks to the right place for his help. We'll come back to this at a later time and, and see that Job, is, as wrong as he may have been on a few things, he gets that one right. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.